Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this episode, Alex interviews Jaime. They discuss how the Sermon on the Mount can influence how we engage in one of the most contentious topics of our day, politics. Enjoy. Hello and welcome everyone to the On The Way podcast. I'm Alex Kirk, uh, lead pastor of Chatham Community Church. I'm here with Jaime Castanier, and uh, we are really excited about uh, some bonus episodes here of the podcast as we've been dropping these with each of our series. But about a week and a half ago or so, we had a politics seminar discussion where Jaime and I both presented for a little while, then did some Q&A, and uh, several folks asked if we were recording, and we said, absolutely not, we were not recording. But uh, we continued to get emails, actually before the event and after the event, asking if we were recording it. And so uh, it went well, we had a great conversation, and um, there were no no blood was shed or tears shed or uh, barbed words exchanged. It was a great conversation. And so we thought we would take it and put it in podcast form. And so uh, for part one of this, Jaime will present his material he talked about that night, and I'll get a chance to sort of uh, poke and prod and ask a few uh, fun questions. And I'm uh, really glad that, uh, Jaime, you've agreed to uh, to do this. Thanks so much. How are you doing today, Jaime? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm glad to do this. Fantastic. Well, we are uh, we're ready to, uh, to to jump in. And Jaime, you opened uh, last Friday night with a with a great story about your experience of coming from Puerto Rico to the mainland and uh, how that how your experience of politics was uh, perhaps a surprise to you. So I'd love to, for you to kind of open up with that great story. Yeah. So Lydia and I moved to the mainland in the summer of two thousand eight, which uh, was election season in the United States. There was a presidential campaign going, and we were excited. We were excited to, to join the political process here on the mainland. We were excited because we, as soon as we moved, we, we, uh, we had the opportunity to vote. And uh, we, were, we were really paying attention to the campaign. We were engaged. We were considering things. We were paying attention to the news. We were having conversations. And in a different way than we had been in Puerto Rico, because in Puerto Rico, we don't get to vote for president. So, you know, I'd, I'd been marginally interested in, uh, in mainland politics in the past, and I'd sort of had a, I'd sort of paid attention to it, but I really hadn't done a deep dive into it, and I hadn't thought critically about how my faith affected my political engagement or how it affected my political thought, uh, and particularly as it relates to the issues that are important on the mainland, because the issues that are uh, most urgent or most important to mainland voters aren't the same as the issues that are most important to you know voters in Puerto Rico or voters around the world. Now, obviously, there's there's overlap always, but there are some unique ones here on the mainland. And so, uh, you know, we were excited to engage with that. We were excited to learn, and we were really seriously considering uh, the decision we needed to make that coming November. Now, when we moved to the states, we joined a church, and uh, there was a young adult small group that met. Uh, I think on Sunday, Sundays after church. And we joined that group and we were excited to be a part of that and, and talk about what we were learning and how we were processing uh, the information we were receiving and just how we were experiencing the um, the political campaign and the candidates and their positions. And, uh, you know, we we uh, we soon realized that it, it people weren't experienced. The, the other people in the group weren't experiencing it the same way we were. Uh, there were lots of awkward moments, lots of awkward silences um you know i I think we 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 realized that the way we were thinking about it the way we were engaging with it wasn't the same as the people in the room and the comfort level with engaging in political discourse or political dialogue in a church setting uh, was incredibly low 
And so, uh, you know, eventually we stopped talking about politics. Now, um, all of us in that room, uh, I believe, would have considered ourselves Christians at the time. And, and yet we cared about different things in different ways to, with different levels of intensity. And we came to different conclusions, but we really didn't have the skills to talk about it. We didn't have the, the wherewithal to know how to talk about it critically and from a Christian perspective. And I'm not sure that everyone in the room uh, accepted or was comfortable with other people in the room coming to different conclusions than, than they did. Now, would you say that was uh, different from your experience in Puerto Rico? So think about your experience politically in Puerto Rico, and, and as a part, you were part of churches in Puerto Rico, yeah. right, before you came to the mainland. Like, uh, how would you sort of compare and contrast sort of uh, political engagement and Christian subculture in Puerto Rico versus sort of your church experience in New York, or even since then, right, kind of you've been in lots of churches since then. Since mm-hmm. And it's different in Puerto Rico now than it was uh, uh, when we moved here to the mainland. It's been over a decade at this point. But when before we moved, I mean, I think one of the main distinctions is that uh, there wasn't a, a Christian alignment with a political party mentality, which we found there is here in the United States. And it goes for both parties. Like there are some people who are seriously Christian and believe to be seriously Christian means to be seriously Republican. And some people believe to be seriously Christian means to be seriously Democrat. They, 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 they tie the two together in a way that wasn't true in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, the main political parties when we moved stateside in Puerto Rico were all uh, based on uh, a, a desire for the resolution of Puerto Rico's relationship with the, with the U.S., so there's an independence party, a, a statehood party, and a, you know, remain as is party. And so neither of those three positions are inherently religious or faith-based. Right. And so um, like you could talk about political things in the church without it feeling like um, you weren't a Christian or you were a Christian based on how you thought. Uh, people might think of you differently if you are pro-independence or pro-statehood and you're trying to a group that thinks differently. But it was never a sense of, oh, I, I didn't think Christians thought that way. And so uh, coming to the States and experiencing that, um, that, um, that closer relationship between political affiliation and faith affiliation was, uh, was a little bit uh, jarring to us, a little bit shocking to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, you, uh, when you think about sort of how that plays out, um, uh, what are the what are the ways you think that sort of high affiliation? Uh, how does how does that affect our ability to sort of think thoughtfully about our faith and politics? Like how do you think that how, how do you think that um, hinders or helps? I don't know. Maybe maybe there's maybe there's pros and cons to uh, to having people who identify so highly uh, their marry their faith and their polit- the political parties in, to such a strong degree. Well, I think some of the concerns that come up for me when I when I look at the political parties is, um, I mean, neither of them fully reflect kingdom values. And uh, I, I think to align one's faith to a political party uncritically uh, can lead someone to believe uh, the whole political platform of a party is um, informed by faith. And that's just not true. There are elements of, of both parties' political platforms that are informed or that align with uh, a Christian worldview. 
um, and I like different people think differently about what a Christian worldview entails, but mm-hmm. you can make ties to the platforms of both political parties. Uh, I think some of the dangers are that because we are far more uh, aware of the distinctives of a, of a political party than we are of having a uh, what a Christian framework to engage politics is, um, I think we far more align ourselves with um, with with a, a type of political thought instead of a type of faith-based way to engage political yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah, and so it robs us of the ability to think critically, to disagree, uh, sometimes to shape uh, and change our political thought, or even to influence the um, the, the platform or the, the viewpoints of a political party. Uh, and, and the reality is uh, my, my political thinking has changed over the years, and I, I assume it will continue to change. It will continue to be refined. But what I'm convinced of is that the church and the, the faith community has, uh, has a role in shaping political thought. In fact, I, I, I think it's part of discipleship. Uh, not necessarily to dictate what conclusions one must reach, though there may be instances where it should influence that, mm-hmm. but to sh- to inform the Christian on what are the tools that are at our disposal to think politically, mm-hmm. to engage politically, what should influence uh, the way we engage the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you've had a great set of sort of guiding principles or core principles. We've touched on some of those already just as, as we're talking, so I don't want to cut to that too quickly. So why don't you kind of walk through some of your uh, kind of core principles that you think uh, in terms of how Christians sort of engage political discussion? Yeah, and these are mine, right? Not, sure. They're not everyone's, and that's okay, but these are the ones that have shaped mine, my understanding and my engagement with, with politics. It's the, the first is I believe that the resurrection affects everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it affects every aspect of our world. There isn't a single area of life in which, uh, in not just life, but our world, in, in which the resurrection doesn't have something to, to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a famous quote that says, there is no single square inch of, of our earth that Jesus doesn't look at and say, uh, that's mine, doesn't claim lordship over. And I'm butchering the quote, but it's something to that effect. Um, and I think that every aspect of the individual and every facet of every community and collective, including politics, politics can be and is affected by the resurrection. Um, and and uh, and I, I believe I believe that our society uh, and our nation or our community, because you know politics and engagement doesn't isn't just on a national level; it's on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe every single one of those arenas is poorer when followers of Jesus uh, don't engage, don't bring a resurrection mentality or a resurrection influence into that sphere. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that part of what's influenced my political thought is the reality that we have not led in this historically. So there's an aspect of humility that I have as I engage in the political process to know that I'm trying to enter into an arena where, um, where not, it's not that Christians have been silent, uh, and they're particularly not silent right now, but that I believe that a, a, a thoughtful Christian engagement has necessarily not been voiced loudly. Um, we've been led rather than leading, and I and I believe our our nation and our society is poor when we abdicate the responsibility to lead in these arenas. I don't mean lead political decisions, but we have something to model uh-huh. about how to engage in political thought and political process and political dialogue. And I believe we haven't led, 
and I think that's part of why you see the state of affairs as is in political discourse, political dialogue, which I don't know that we could call political dialogue. Uh, most of what happens seems to be a grandstanding and shouting people down. Uh, you know, I think our contribution to society in, in that area is we can actually model having healthy conversations of disagreement. And um, we, we have been led in that instead of leading. When you, when you picture that happening, do you picture that happening mostly internal to the church that we can figure out how, we can, we, because we share Christ, we're able to have different opinions, we're able to have civil discourse essentially from a different ground? Or do you picture that as sort of Christians engaging with non-Christians in, a, in, in, in civil discourse that is sort of formative? Does that make sense? Like yes. There's, there's a, there's a, or, or both. Yeah, yeah both. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we, 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 if we can't do it in our own house, right, yeah. to speak, uh-huh. then we have no, um, we have no credibility to do it outside of our own house and yet um we need to do both like we can't just do it in our own house and tell people well it's like if you want to have good political discourse go go, come come and observe our church circle i mean yes we should invite people to observe and we should be able to model it but it shouldn't stop at our doors like we shouldn't play by two sets of rules we shouldn't say well when i'm with christians because we understand these things i'm going to conduct myself in this way but when i go out to talk to a sphere or to in an area that isn't particularly christian uh, I am going to abandon those values and just engage by play by their rules. Now there are certain rules and certain guidelines uh, that don't apply outside of the the Christian circle, but there are certain principles that we should carry out and not abdicate uh, and not not leave at the door when we engage in other places. I mean, you can't influence. Uh, well, I would think there are certain there are certain streams of thought about our political engagement that would say. Uh, that you can influence by being um, removed from the political world. Right. Uh, I don't particularly share that that principle. I respect it. Uh, I think we have to we have to engage and model a Christian way of engaging in politics uh, outside of just the Christian sphere. We have to be uh, among people, uh, what some people call the secular sphere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, th- there are um, four questions that I picked up from a book that uh, have helped me think about my political engagement. And, I, and, I, and in fact, I think uh, they're, they're, they can be helpful for anyone because I think all of us have answers to these questions, but we don't always realize it. And I think that affects how we, how we engage in, in politics, but also how we interact with other people, particularly when they have different answers and we don't realize it. They're from a book called uh, Church, State, and Public Justice, Five Views. Uh, and uh, there are four questions that form our political engagement, our answers to those questions. One is, uh, what is the mission of the church and other faith communities? So understanding what the mission of the church is, or, I mean, not necessarily understanding, but you having understanding of what you believe is the mission of the church and of faith communities will impact your political engagement. Your answer to the question, what is the purpose of the state, will affect your political engagement. Uh, Your uh, answer to the question, what is the proper relationship, between the state and the church will affect your political engagement. And uh, your answer to the question, how should the church and state seek to resolve social injustice uh, will affect how you engage politically. Would you uh, take like a quick crack at, because those questions can like, are intuitive for some people, but abstract for others. Can you kind of meet, like kind of bring that down can you take a crack at one of those questions or maybe walk through them and just kind of give us some examples of like different ways people maybe different people have answered that question in different ways these questions in different ways can you kind of tease out practically how uh, an answer to that might 
play out in a very practical way uh, how you would vote for a for a law resolution about any sure, number sure. of things. I mean I'll, I'll do one of the extreme examples there there are there are strains of thought that say that um, the the role of uh, the church or the way the relate the, the the way that the church and the state interact or the way that the church interacts with the state in its execution of its role is to actually be separate and stand as a witness right. of a different kind of faith community and hoping that by that um, the state will be compelled to act differently or to seek out a different way. And so there are people who, because of their understanding of that, um, so their mission is to sort of uh, be a shining city on the hill. Right. Uh, and, and I'm... But I'm, like a parallel alternative yeah. almost, right? Yes, almost like yes, a, yes. a prophetic alternative yes. that's removed from the state yeah, in a yeah, sense. Yeah. And, and, and I am both using an extreme and also it's not a position that I hold. Sure. So yeah. I, am, I, am, I might not be doing it justice uh, and I apologize to folks who hold this position. Um, and so these are people who oftentimes therefore don't vote because they believe that they shouldn't engage in the political process uh, through voting. Uh, some of these people will not. Uh, some of the people who hold these views will not uh, hold public office. Uh, they will not uh, serve in the military or other or, or, or in other vehicles. Um, yeah, it, it it just that's how it influences how they engage politically. And some people might look at at folks who hold that view and say that they're just being irresponsible, that they're disengaged, that they don't care. And that's not true. They care deeply. It's just that the way that they answer those four questions mm-hmm. informs how they care or how what they're caring looks like. Um, yeah, and, and you know, there's not enough time for me to go uh, through all my answers to those four questions. But um, uh, I mean, suffice to say, I think, and I, I think some of this has come through. Uh, my 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 idea of the mission of the church involves affecting every area, mm-hmm. is to influence for the kingdom every area. And uh, and I believe that the church and the state can work close together. I don't I don't know necessarily that I mean that the church as an institution uh, works close together with with the state hand in hand. I don't I don't believe in necessarily that. But that folks from the church can operate within the mechanisms of the state to bring about good uh, for the for the for the public, good right. for the for the for the community, for the nation, uh, for the people uh, therein, um, and. You know, lots of conflict occurs because we we don't agree on the answers to those four questions. Like, there's a lot of um, ways we miss each other uh, mm-hmm. because we don't agree on the answers to those four questions and we don't realize it. Right. And the reality is that thoughtful Christians have been answering those four questions for a long time and have come to different answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that there's necessarily one correct answer. But I think it is a positive step towards a more um, informed political engagement, a better influenced political engagement, if we can answer those questions for ourselves. Uh, I think it can do two things. One is um, if you answer them and you, you, you answer them honestly and you realize, okay, these, the, my answers to these four questions align with my faith. Then good, you have something to you have something to to to, to build a foundation uh, to build a foundation on to engage politically. Um, but I think some of us, if we engage in the process of answering those four questions, we'll come up with answers that we may not necessarily like. We'll be like, well, this is how I'm practicing it. This is what what my life or what my activity would say about my answers to these right. four questions. And I don't think this is particularly Christian. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it yeah. might lead us to reflection right. and reframing and re-engaging. 
Um, like, I mean, th- there was a time when I considered, you know what, the, the, the Christians uh, should, should leave their faith at the door. They shouldn't uh, think about, um, uh, they shouldn't engage politically, you know, with their faith. And uh, uh, there were other times when I thought, you know, uh, the best thing we could do is to have, um, you know, uh, Christians at every in every sphere of politics, and that's the way we should run things. And I don't know that I think either of those are true, but but answering the questions and thinking through those answers has helped me refine my mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. This is some good, like, overarching principles. Can As you uh, as we've, uh, run the idea of politics in the seminar, we did it during the Sermon on the Mount series, mm-hmm. Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. Um, what are the ways that sort of the Sermon on the Mount uh, has shaped, or even in the last few weeks you've been thinking about this, this, the seminar, How and what way do you see the Sermon on the Mount shaping it, either ways that have already been shaping for you, or prescriptively, sort of in process, I'm sort of looking at this, like you said, we're all works in progress and looking at things. How would you say the Sermon on the Mount is sort of shaping your political views and uh, political engagement? Sure. Well, there are a few ways that the Sermon on the Mount is influencing my political thought, even in in these last few weeks. Um, I'll try to go through as many of them as I can recall um, and and can articulate coherently. (laughs) We we appreciate coherent articulation as much as possible. Uh, One of the things that strikes me about the Sermon on the Mount as I think about politics is the way that the Sermon on the Mount flips the script on what the society of that time thinks thought of as power, as as winning or being successful, as uh, blessedness, uh, what what society thought of as having the the good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount opens up with these beatitudes and the people it highlights. I remember the, the first week uh, we preached on this. What what I what I said was, you know, if you read the beatitudes, you you might think, okay, maybe a few of those would fit into a good life. We'd want a few of those, right? You know, and maybe even some of the not necessarily desirable ones, because you know, into each life a little rain must fall. Certainly, uh, but all of them together, that feels like a little bit too much. That doesn't seem very blessed or very good. That doesn't feel like we're winning at all. And uh, and and oftentimes, what what that's made me consider is is whether or not in my political engagement or in our political engagement, in our political goals, we are running away from things that Jesus actually embraces. Mm. And, uh, and you know, like, it, it, and I talk about this, uh, I talked about this in the seminar, um, you know, being motivated by fear is not, not, not good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's, that's positive uh, overall. I mean, I think there are times where fear can serve us, but uh, in, in a general sense, I don't, I don't think it's ultimately good because ultimately when you're, when you're, when you're motivated by fear, you are running away from something and you, you're not necessarily sure what you're running towards. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, um, you know, oftentimes we are afraid of being the poor, afraid of being in a place where we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I'm not saying we should run towards those things, <laughs> But um, if our goal is to free ourselves from that condition, um, there's a way in which maybe we're running away from things that Jesus embraces, and maybe that's not necessarily the best thing. I'm not saying that our whole political engagement should be, all right, let's make sure that we are uh, meek, always hungering and thirsting for righteousness, always persecuted. Like, I'm not saying that. 
Um, uh, but but there's something about the way the um, the Sermon on the Mount flips the script that uh, that makes me want to reconsider um, what I think and how what I'm aspiring to mm-hmm. in my political engagement. Another way, I mean, and it's along that line of of winning, which I talked about, um, is that uh, you know winning elections, appointing judges, um, making sure certain bills get passed, uh, that other functionaries are in place. Um, are not the only worthwhile goals of political engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, uh, there, there is a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that is about bearing witness to uh, the goodness of God and the values of the kingdom, and that's not always found in in power. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in fact, it's not necessarily necessary to be in power to find those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some historians, church historians, who would say that uh, that one of the worst things that happened to the church was when it became the state religion. Right. Uh, the church yeah. flourished uh, when it was not in power. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I think there's some there there might be some truth. I think there there historians that argue against that. Right. But uh, you know, the power of humans, the, the way that humans aspire to power, uh, often. It, confronts the values of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and so um while our political engagement should be informed by seeing the values that we have and the desires that we have for the kingdom enacted in certain ways um those those things can't be so married to winning that we want to win at all costs Mm -hmm. um or that we justify means that aren't concurrent with our christian ideals in order to get ends that are concurrent with our christian ideals mm-hmm. um part of what i appreciate about the sermon on the mount it, it, it attends to the traditionally voiceless or powerless mm-hmm. i mean that's right there in the beatitudes but it's throughout the sermon on the mount there's there's a clear nod to those people and more than a nod i think part of it is jesus attends to them because society doesn't intend to attend to them mm-hmm. oftentimes they don't have the and especially in our society the money to to lobby politically, to have a political voice, and uh, it, one of the things that it, that one of the ways it shapes my engagement is I want to make sure I'm attending to the people who are not the people and the concerns that are not normally attended to, not normally voiced, not normally loud. Um, you know, the the powerful and those entrusted with power have a responsibility to the powerless. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is a kingdom value, I yeah, believe. Sure. And oftentimes, our political engagement is built around the idea that the people in power are responsible to the people who put them in power. And that's, I see something different huh. in, in uh-huh. communicating not only the Sermon on the Mount, but in Scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, the standard for kings, and this is what prophets held them accountable to, the way you evaluated a good king was if if they kept the law uh-huh. and because they they modeled right so in other words are they modeling right a god abiding life right. yeah that was one yeah the second is did they defend the borders and this isn't about keeping people out this was about protecting the people who lived at the borders from invading armies like legit armies uh-huh. um, because you know if an invading force another country comes to invade the people who are going to get caught first are the people who are furthest right who are, right. Who are closest to the border they're furthest away from the center of the kingdom and oftentimes those people were poor and powerless they were vulnerable 
And uh, the last thing that kings were evaluated on uh, was how had they cared for widows and orphans, right? Which is the 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 poorest of the poor right. in, in the Old Testament mindset, the widows and orphans. And um, I don't know that those are always our standards mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. so the Sermon on the Mount calls me back to that. Um, the Sermon on the Mount talks a lot about uh, what is happening inside of us, not just what we achieve outside of us. And you know, it reminds me that how we engage in politics matters. Uh, we can't play the political game in an upside down way, right? Our, our series uh, was uh, living right side up in a world that's upside down. We can't engage in the ways that 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 the world has normalized, uh-huh. and and expect to be salt and light. Uh-huh. Right. Salt and light are distinct, right. uh, at least in the Sermon on the Mount. They draw attention. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, the, there's a professor I have that's fond of saying you can't use the tools of the kingdom of darkness to gain victory in the kingdom of light. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm often concerned about the ways that we just buy into what is normal. Mm-hmm. I think part of this is we don't have a, a formed way of engaging in a, in a faith-based way, in a Christian way. But... The level of partisanship, the level of uh, viciousness, the level of lying, the level of dehumanizing that we often engage in, uh, and particularly one that that uh, that is challenging for me to hear, is when folks say, "Well, the other side does it, so we need to do it." Mm-hmm. Um, I just this we are then engaging. By the rules that others are engaging mm-hmm. and again some might say well if you don't gauge engage in that way you're never going to win you're never going to gain power and like winning is not the most important goal uh-huh. <laughs> i mean what, what does it gain someone to win right to gain the whole world but lose their soul uh-huh. um in line with that we have to have integrity in how we engage politically uh, and integrity means we have to be of one piece. So, in other words, I can't be one person on Sunday mornings, whether I'm preaching or I'm in the pew for the folks who are listening, or not pews, some like the chairs, or watching the service online. I can't have one set of values there and then have a different set of values when I engage mm-hmm, in the political mm-hmm, landscape and yeah. the political marketplace of ideas. Right. Um, we have to have consistency in every level of life. Um, I can't have a different set of rules for how I engage politically. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't we can't celebrate compassion and mercy on Sunday mornings or Wednesday night Bible studies or whenever we attend to those and then celebrate vitriol mm-hmm. and dehumanizing at a political rally or when we watch the news or when we cast our ballots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's it's inconsistent. Uh, you know, which leads me to the next point. So, like, the Sermon on the Mount is has high standards, right? Because some people might be listening and be like, "Well, that's unrealistic. There's no way we can engage our world in that way." Uh-huh. And um, and yet, the Sermon on the Mount is unapologetic in its high standard, right? I mean, it has that section that says, "You have heard it said, but I have, but I say unto you." And Jesus seems to raise the bar, oh, right? Yeah. Which really what he's doing is he's saying what goes on inside of you matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just about what you can achieve. It's about who you are becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount never looks at the world and says, well, 
based on how it is, here's how you can make it marginally better. Right. The Sermon on the Mount says this is how it's supposed to be, right? It paints this picture. This is how it's supposed to be. Yes, it's this way. You've got to unapologetically long for how it's supposed to be mm -hmm. and live as if you are headed in that direction mm -hmm. with velocity. <laughs> uh, with velocity. Uh, um, it, it, it doesn't assume that things are just always going to be that way or they're going to get worse. Um, it, it calls for what it could and should be. Uh -huh. And I think we should always unapologetically not settle for anything uh, less than what it could or should be. Now, oftentimes we've got to make compromise. We've got to we've got to be okay with sort of steps towards that goal. Uh, but oftentimes, what ends up happening is we we lower the bar in one area and we settle for it. And instead of saying, "Okay, it's here," but we got to we got to push it back up next time. We what ends up happening is the next time around we lower the bar again, mm -hmm. and we lower the bar again, and we lower the bar again. So I want to ask you a little bit about uh, what you said about sort of that um, that integrity piece, that being of one mind piece. I think because I think there's something really uh, important about that, that having uh, an integrated life, mm -hmm. right? And that's something that Christ calls us to, the Spirit calls us to. Uh, and I, 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 the tension in that of uh, it's it's um, the church's role is different than the state, i.e., the church is not building an army, for example, right? right? And so so there there are ways that we have to sort of understand um different different roles in terms of how the thing fits together in the church and the state different expect there are, there's, there are some different expectations i have Absolutely. from the government than i have from the church or or even maybe some different rules and so i'd love to i'd love for you to tease that out where something that goes back to how you answered some of those questions we talked about earlier exactly. right about the relationship between the church and the state and, indeed and how how differentiated or distinctive and how integrated into the larger thing mm -hmm. it should be um but when you think about that question of integrity and uh, being an integrated person and in both spaces, uh, what does that what does that look like when clearly the the operations are different and uh, and and, our, and your relationship with each is different? The one 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 is a self selected community you've opted into right voluntarily sub, sub, submitted to or whatever, and mm -hmm. one is a, a, a kind of a nation a thing that we're all kind of uh, born into and you know and some of us opt into various different ones obviously different times along the way um but there's different roles so how do you how do you sort of distinguish them between those two roles or our or how we live as integrated people in these two spaces that are very different operate differently yeah so uh, let me take a, a one you know just just tease that out a little bit i i think there's there's a difference between what what i expect from myself when I enter into the political uh -huh. arena and what I expect from the political arena, right? We've talked about this uh, a few times with uh, Alex, you and I in, in separate conversations. We don't impose our internal community rules on folks who haven't opted into our community, right? Right. There are standards that we aspire to as Christians that we don't expect people who haven't opted into our community That's to right. hold themselves to right. uh, because they've not opted into our community. We are aware of that. However, when I go into the political arena, I have to have decided what values and morals are going to guide me as I engage with that. Yeah. And if I have answered a question that says, here are the things I'm expecting of the church. Here are the things I'm expecting of the state. Here are the things, here's how I'm help, hoping they play together. Then I need to be consistent in how I engage, how that informs how I engage and what what I require of the people I engage with. So, uh, for example, there there's uh, <laughs> you know people expect politicians to lie. Right. They expect them to. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so as a follower of Jesus, if I'm engaging in the political sphere, the first thing of that is I need to be okay. Well, I need to be okay with not lying when I engage. Like I can't lie. Right. And I've got to call my politicians to truth. Uh-huh. If they are followers of Jesus, then my calling to them is even higher. Right. Mm-hmm. If they are not, then then I need to decide, okay, given that that's the norm for their for, for the sphere that they're in, and they're not following Jesus, or even if they are, they may have a different understanding of how they engage. Um, what is the what's the what's the acceptable um, compromise? Uh-huh. Like what am I looking at when I look at them? Right. And yet, whenever given a chance, am I going to call them to honesty and integrity? Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to say I I expect politicians to be untruthful at times Mm -hmm. it's another thing to say i am simply going to relinquish the value of truth and allow lies to permeate the entire process sure those are different things Mm -hmm. um because because it would be if we were to say at this point sadly if we were to say i won't vote for someone that lies we're not going to vote more than likely more than likely most of us hearing this would say well i guess we're not voting for for anyone right and there are people whose answer to the four questions would lead them in that direction. Yeah. And that's okay. If they're doing that with, that with integrity, that's okay. I, I'm not there yet. Um, however, I am not going to stop uh, calling for and holding um, the elected officials or the functionaries to a standard of truth. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I will, will call them towards that. I will not relinquish the value of truth, even in a sphere where um, where people are expected to obfuscate or hide or or pander, right? Because sometimes the way untruth comes out is people just pander to an audience mm-hmm. um, or don't engage in, in conflict. Uh, yeah, so does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah. Um, when you think about that, you, you talk about sort of that, some people have opted into our community and, and have opted into a community and we don't expect people who haven't opted into that community to sort of abide by some of the same kind of rules. As you think about the Sermon on the Mount and you think about how it, it, it does describe uh, a blessed life, a, a really good life. When you, th- when you think about sort of um, what of the Sermon on the Mount you would say, you know what, this actually uh, would be something that would be worth fighting for in the public arena. Like I would take this from the Sermon on the Mount and say this would be good for our whole country to abide by this. Mm-hmm. Um, what other particular passages you feel like? Oh yeah, this is this this would be worth moving from uh, a strictly Christian sort of buy-in to like this would be good for everybody. And one of the ones you would say, you know what, this is great for Christian community, but it only makes sense nested in this larger narrative, this larger framework of sort of voluntary surrender to Jesus, you know, and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So if you if you think about it from uh, as a Christian who engages in the political process, what how do you sort of make the differentiate between those things or sort of filter uh, run that grid uh, through some of the mountains up? particular example of all kinds of biblical commands we could yeah yeah well i mean i've 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 shared a little bit already the idea of attending to the powerless Uh is um i think crucial and uh i mean we are living in an era where there is a lot of money in politics and uh there is a lot of influence peddling in politics and um I, i don't know that Every politician or any politician is malicious about it. I mean, statistically, I would assume that some are. <laughs> right, obviously, um, sure. But, it, you know, when when certain people get access to you 
and they are consistently the ones getting access to you and they share their important points of view, their, 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 the, the views that they consider important, right. it will be inevitable that you will think, oh, this is representative, like this is incredibly important. And oftentimes the people who can't get access to those circles end up forgotten, yeah. sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And so uh, a, 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 a push to attend to the people who can't get to the table. There was a, um, a question that a supervisor of mine asked me once, uh, and, she, and she asked me, like, when you look around the room, who is not at the table? Yeah. How can you attend to them? And uh, I think that is that that is something that the Old Testament was after that that the law that the prophets were after was this realization that if they can't get a seat at the table and you don't attend to them, they will get forgotten mm -hmm. and they will get un intentionally or not they will get trampled mm -hmm. and God doesn't want that. So uh, the, now notice that that is broad. I'm right. not prescribing a way to do that. Right. I'm not prescribing solutions to that. But if they are not in the conversation at all, uh -huh. they will. Uh, be collateral damage. Yeah, and so I think that's a that's a, a value from the Sermon on the Mount that I think needs to make it into uh, political discourse. I mean, it might it, well, it might need some need policy changes, but I'm not going to go down that road yet. The other thing that I think the Sermon on the Mount uh, that that makes impresses on me significantly, which I think needs to be a standard. This is means is that the character matters. Character matters. Mm -hmm. The heart, the soul. It matters, and it matters in all of life. I've said this already, but I'll say it again. It's not just about what gets done, but it's about who we are becoming. This idea, you know, it, it what does it profit us if we gain every political victory but forfeit our souls? Um, so, I, you know, when I, when I look at political leaders, um, it matters to me. Their, their character matters to mm -hmm. me. Their character matters to me first, and their policy matters to me not first. Uh -huh. um, and uh, you know, I, I say that knowing that there are some uh, genuinely good, and wise, and honest people who have no political skills and should not be in political leadership. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's not their calling. So, I don't, I don't mean that just find. You know, nice people. Nice people. Right. And it's not, yeah, and, and put them in power. That's not what I mean necessarily, but I do mean uh, that you know we, that that we we can't. I believe we can't align ourselves with people who who whose character is not just flawed. Everyone's everyone has flaws, uh -huh. um, but uh, uh, poisoned, uh -huh. poisonous, uh -huh. um, because that. If we align ourselves with people like that, we we will become influenced by that, mm -hmm. and um, and we as a nation or as a community or as a town, depending on what sphere political sphere we're talking about, we will become more like the people we follow. Right. It's just there's a leadership axiom as 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 the leader goes, so does the community. So if you were given a choice between someone who had great character but whose ideas you thought were just bad for the country. Like, okay, bad policies, like, you know, like, you know, and I'll, I would even say that some policies aren't just flat out bad. They're just, um, 
They might, have been, they might have been better at some other time or some other point in the season, but for this season right now, I think your ideas are just bad, not good mm-hmm. ideas for moving forward anything. That, that could happen in any organization, right? It could happen in a church. It could happen in a business. It could happen in a volunteer organization. You have a great person running things who just has bad ideas and leads the whole thing into you know bankruptcy or whatever. So good character, bad ideas. Bad character, good ideas. Would you just opt out at that point? I mean, what do you, like how do you, how do you navigate those right those those uh, those options? Yeah. So not every idea has the same weight politically. Sure. Absolutely. That's true. Sure. Um, you know, not not every political position has equal influence in every political uh, position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the senators and uh, Congress uh, people have more power to decide certain things than than um, local aldermen, depending on what right. part of the country we're living in, uh, and then the president is just different. A different sphere of influence. So, so I need to decide what they need most of. Uh-huh. Uh, however, for me, character is non-negotiable. Now, every, I, I gotta, I gotta be willing to play uh, in a field where th- there are people like me who are sinful, who have flaws. Right? Sure. There, there is no perfect person. That's right. Don't exist. Um, however, there, you know, by the time we get to the ballot, there has been a culling that has happened. And I, I, I think the problem is that we abdicate our responsibility uh, to care about character because we wait until the last moment to care about the people in the process. And, um, you know, I think there is – I, I don't think we should be getting to the point where the choice is between a – I don't mean flawed – a morally bankrupt person right. and, with good policies – and what well, seem like good policies, and um, a uh, uh, a morally upstanding person with policies that are not good, um, that 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 should be upstream. We should be taking care of that upstream. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, my aspiration in an ideal world would be that uh, both or all three or all five, you know, political parties or whatever, whoever gets to the final vote, are the best that each political platform has to offer, character-wise. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, let's talk about the issues. Let's talk about how you, as an honest, loving, merciful, and gracious person who also stands for justice, are going to enact this in this particular way. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it seems our whole process now is, is don't get the reverse, right? So it's, it's leave with ideas and policies, and that's how, that's how you kind of draw. Uh, I mean, that's how you distinguish yourself, mm-hmm. right? Is like, here's my ideas. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's not, it's, it's not a bad piece component of the thing but certainly that seems like that's the that's the the, the character piece comes as a secondary concern yeah in, and in I, our, political, I our whole political process I, it's hard for me to abide by that because i i believe we give up uh long-term gains for short-term wins mm-hmm. what seem like short-term wins and I, and i i don't know that that's necessarily true i mean uh this, one of the things the sermon on the mount talks about is can a bad tree produce good fruit mm-hmm. and you know there's lots of fruit that looks good on the outside, and when you open it, it's rotten. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more, con- more the more I read the Sermon on the Mount, the more I'm convinced that that character uh, has to be paramount. And, you know, the, the people who end up on the ballot on election day, they don't just appear magically. There is a process right. by which they go through. Yeah. And uh, I mean, engaging earlier in the process is important. Mm-hmm. Is important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's some other things from the Sermon on the Mount that are helpful for us to remember, I think, as we think about uh, the political landscape. 
is that uh, security and safety come from the Lord, not from the political process. Uh, you know, our, our, we're, we're, that's where we ultimately get our security and safety. Now, there are some very real concerns of our current reality based on who wins or who doesn't win, and I'm not saying those are invalid, um, but but it 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 um, anchors us. It it it, um, it it writes the ship when we remember that our ultimate security and safety come from the Lord, who loves us and watches out for us. Um, you know, I, I I think it's upside down to use fear as a justification to align with one side over another. Um, the the the. One additional thing that I'd say is that no political party deserves unquestioned allegiance. Uh, and, I, and I realize that at this point, even by saying that, I may be uh, tipping a hand at, at something that's in the um, news currently about uh, allegiance to one person or platform or party, and I'm okay with that. Um, uh, no one deserves to call for our unquestioned allegiance. Like, any, anyone who demands unquestioning allegiance is inviting us into idolatry hmm. and um uh you know the, the 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 primary position in our life the 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 one who deserves our greatest allegiance is god no one else gets to take that seat and the reality is if you read scripture i mean i, I don't god doesn't demand unquestioning allegiance from anyone i think god longs for unquestioning allegiance or god longs for full allegiance but God doesn't reject and cast out people who question him. If you read the, 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 mm. the scriptures, right. our heroes of faith, the people that would say, oh, we admire these people. Most of them had moments where they shook their fist at God, where they were upset at God, where they were angry at God, where they questioned God's plans, where they were questioning God's provision. And God never, God didn't cast them out. Mm -hmm. God didn't cast them out. So why would I accept that any political leader or political platform or, you know, aside from political leader, any business leader um, uh, demand something from me that not even God does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's, well, it's interesting to hear. Um, this plays out in lots of different subtle ways and not so subtle ways, right, mm -hmm. in our political discourse. Um, what What is it about sort of human beings that uh, we... Um, we uh, essentially kind of almost put up with it, right? Like, wh like wh what is it about us that we, that we uh, large swaths of us will fall right into line behind uh, like a, uh, a party or an ideology or a person? And even that is extremely demanding of us, right? And a, and a, and a almost a tyrannical side. I mean, certainly zoom out to all of history and you see people who follow terrible, despicable leaders who have these massive followings that demanded so much from them. What is it about us that... Um, that will capitulate to that call. That seems to sort of fall in line with that. When it's uh, when if you zoom out from it, it seems like it's almost obvious that that's not a healthy thing to have mm -hmm. someone demand uh, absolute hundred percent loyalty all the time, no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? What do you think that is about us? Um, uh, there's a few things. I think number one, we like power. Mm hmm. And by power, you mean so being on the winning team or yeah. being a part of the thing that seems like it's it's on the yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. We, we like to receive the things that we feel we are entitled to uh -huh. or that we deserve or that we um, or that are right for us. And uh, uh, we are willing to sacrifice others for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
we, um, uh, you know, we mob mentality takes over. Yeah, it's it's good to be part of the majority of the crowd that is, you know, going along with something. Um, sometimes, particularly, because uh, th- there are there are there are leaders that seem good and only reveal themselves right. in the aftermath. Yes. So, um, but but sometimes. I think we um, we long to be the kind of people who embrace sinful nature the way some leaders do. Mm. Um, I, that, that, I don't think any of us would admit that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But there are some. There sometimes there is there is unprocessed anger. There is unprocessed hurt. There is unprocessed even hate. Hate that we're unwilling to admit yeah. that we see someone else release. And we aren't necessarily willing to admit, but we we admire that they have the audacity to be able to do so, and that they go unchecked, uh-huh. uh, and we're willing to follow them. Um, I, I mean, sometimes we are tricked and confused. That happens. Yeah, that happens too. Um, I think sometimes we trust leaders. Who aren't upfront about their motives, aren't upfront about the dealings that they're doing in the back channel, and we get we get duped. Mm-hmm. That that happens as well. Like, I'm not saying that every person who's followed every leader who's been who's ended up being uh, a despot or who has led people astray did so knowingly. Right. Lots of people um, were duped. Right. Have been duped and will continue to be duped. Mm-hmm. Um, Smart people, like people who are like not not yeah. Smart people, yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely smart people. Um, I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, and and ultimately, part of the um, part of going, you know, when you look back at the Garden of Eden, there was this sense of independence and self determination, being able to depend on ourselves, and our own will and our own wherewithal, and not on God. I think there's still a streak of that in us, a streak of, of rebellion, a streak of of um, of of, um, of self mm-hmm. that also leads us to follow leaders that model that. Um, yeah, I think that's follow, that, that's that. But the reality is that we, if we're gonna retain any conviction, like if we're going to actually stand for convict for the convictions that we have if we're going to hold on to them, if we are going to bear witness to our world of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of the, the hope that, that he presents to the world, um, we've got to be willing to resist following the stream. Uh-huh. We, we've got to be, and I don't mean always, right? right we, sure. we, should, we don't always need to be contrarians. Right. All right. <laughs> but we've got to be hyper aware and hyper vigilant at times to be able to say, is this person I'm following compromising forcing causing me to compromise my faith mm-hmm. my conviction right and if they are we've got to be willing to lose yeah mm. uh, part of the the lie i believe and and i think this is particularly true in north america and the united states specifically you know, the lie that we've believed is in order to accomplish anything you've got to hold political power mm. now don't get me wrong you holding political po- political power accomplishes a lot sure a lot um, I'm not saying that that's not uh, right, but we've been led to believe 
that if we don't hold political power, and we, I mean anyone, right? Anyone in, uh, aligned with any organization or any faith or any community, right? Um, uh, then, then we will accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Winning is the only alternative. Uh-huh. And I think that's led us to compromise our convictions. Mm-hmm. It, it can lead anyone to compromise their conviction. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But well, yeah, but the reality is that our, our kingdom duty goes before our civic duty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got to be aligned with the kingdom before we are aligned with, I mean, in my case, Puerto Rico. Right. Or the United States, or the UK, whatever country we're a part of, mm-hmm. or whatever you know, Chatham County, uh-huh. whatever. You gotta be aligned with the kingdom first. That's good stuff. Anything else from your thoughts on Summer on the Mountain? How it connects with uh, kind of engagement in politics as we close up? Yeah, you know, um, I'm I'm cautious to mention this. It was a little bit controversial at the seminar, but I'll, but I'll, I'll say it. Sometimes our alignment with the kingdom over our alignment with our civic duty. Uh, might lead us to a point where we feel like if we vote for either candidate, we are compromising our conviction. And uh, I think at those points, if that's true for you, then I think the right choice is to not vote. And I realize in the United States that's incredibly controversial because it's been drilled into us that that voting is our responsibility and our duty. And in fact, there are people who have who have shed blood, sweat, and tears to make sure that as many people as possible have access to the vote. So I don't say that lightly. I'm not saying you know, uh, take your vote lightly and, you know, just don't vote. I'm, I'm saying uh, if, if push comes to shove, if you feel like voting for either compromises your your moral integrity and your conviction, um, the, the kingdom doesn't require you to vote. Mm-hmm. However, civic duty, I think, and I think the kingdom would be okay with this, go back to your party and tell them why they lost your vote, mm-hmm. why they couldn't get it this time around. Mm-hmm. I think... Just disengaging and being apathetic is not necessarily what, what I would advocate. Uh-huh. Um, but I think letting our party know that they, if you are a part of a political party, and if you're not, then both. Um, letting them know that they are leaving your vote on the table because they can't, you know, I don't know put up a character, a candidate with integrity, a candidate that stands for this, or whatever it is. Right. Um, it would be the responsible thing to do in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this was super fun. And part of what was fun about it was uh, Jaime and I had didn't know what we would say uh, when we got to the seminar, and uh, it was a, a lot of fun to uh, uh, to hear you and to hear you again uh, engage some of the, the thoughts, your own experiences. I feel like you have some really unique perspective coming uh, kind of from the outside in, and sort of be able to sort of see some things and some really uh, some clear some clear lines of uh, both opportunity and brokenness uh, because of your perspective. So appreciate you sharing that with us. Thanks for uh, your time here and for putting it in and sharing yourself with that. And I look forward to sort of round two, drop in uh, soon. Yeah, looking forward to, to just putting you in the hot seat, Alex. And uh, you know, for, for our audience, stay tuned for that part two. And if you like what you heard, let us know. If you have questions or comments, let us know and, and share this with someone who might appreciate it too. All right, we'll talk to you next time we're on the way.